You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, again, good morning. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Matthew chapter 13. Uh, We ended a series last Sunday entitled The Waiting Room, and it was a series uh, working our way through the book of Habakkuk. And our topic and our focus really helped us kind of lean into how we deal with some of the uh, suffering and painful situations that we experience uh, in life. And so we've been talking about how to deal with that. And, And when evil is loud and it seems like God is silent, what do we do and how do we react and how do we respond? The prophet Habakkuk prayed, God, how long do I have to pray and you not step in and do something? And so we looked at what it, what it really meant for us to be in the waiting room and how to pursue Jesus in that season. And, and uh, you know, as I've been relearning so many things that, that I've talked about, I've preached about, um, it's, it's another thing to actually do them. It's another thing to actually, you know, experience it on a frontline basis. And what God has, has really been reteaching me is that in, in the seasons of suffering and in the seasons of, of the waiting room in my personal life, uh, as I'm waiting and, and as I'm thinking about it, as I walk by faith, I recognize again that, okay, God is in control. God has a plan. And I would, I would probably say that many of us here today would say, yes, I believe that, Trent. God has a plan. God has a purpose. And so I believe that. And, and I'm sure some of you do, many of you do as well. And so if it is true that God does have a plan, if it is true that God does have a purpose, then my loss can find purpose only when I'm focusing on his plan. And so if I don't focus on God's plan and all I care about is my plan and my grief, then it will overwhelm me and spiritually I will be impotent. No power. So what gets us through the pain, what gets us through the heartaches of life is when we actually join God's plan. And God's plan is his mission. I will never overcome my depression. I will never overcome grief or suffering in my life until... I join God's mission. God's mission is to build his kingdom. That's what he's all about. He's about building his kingdom by making disciples. That's the mission. That's the goal. And as I pursue Jesus, then I am pursuing his mission. Now listen, we all have hurts. We all have seasons of suffering. I've been hurting, but I have Jesus. That's another thing that God has really been laying on my heart that, Trent, yes, I know this is difficult. I know this is a, a, a rough season for you, but, but you have Jesus. You have me. And, and I want you to think about all those who are experiencing suffering in the community, going through various trials in our community, just like many of us are today, and yet they don't have Jesus. I mean, I know how difficult it is for me, and, and I do have hope. I do have purpose, and I do have Jesus. And and I just think about those in the community that are going through similar things, but, but they don't have Jesus. See, the enemy wants you to be completely inward focused during your waiting room experience. He wants you to throw a pity party. He wants you to wallow in that pain. He wants you to think about yourself through that whole experience. But Jesus is offering you life. He offers you hope in suffering. 
And he calls us, he beckons us that we would lay down our life and live our life for him. And as we do that, those sufferings, those seasons of pain in our life, they don't get easier, but we get stronger as we pursue the mission and use the experiences in our life to bless other people. That is God's plan. And so I want to invite you to transition with me through a series uh, that we've been going through uh, called Waiting Room, and now beginning to look at the plan of God that he has for your life, and the plan that God has for our church. And so we begin a new series today that we are calling Multiply. And with this message today and messages moving forward, my heart is not, you know, you guys better do this and my heart is like, look, this is a, a hope, this is a dream that I have that I know God has laid on my heart and, and, and what I hope for our church. And so my prayer has been, God, help me to receive the messages that I'm going to preach. Help me to own them and help me to be convicted by them. Remove any sin in my life that fogs up the, the vision that you want to do here. Remove any hindrances in my life, any work of the Spirit, God, that you want to do in my heart. Help me to, to get out of the way so that you can prepare the way for us as a church. And so I present this, that, that, that as a church, I, I want us to be faithful. And I hope your mindset and attitude would be the same. That's my heart. And so I want to start today by, by kind of going back into history and, 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 and helping some of you that may be new kind of understand where we're at as a church. It all started about nine years ago. My father, Ron Stewart, was the pastor at Grace Baptist Church at that time in Knoxville. And he decided along with the staff and the church, that it was time to multiply. And so he sent me and about 100 other people from the church to the city of Maryville, and we rallied around this idea that we were going to do whatever was necessary to bring the gospel and to share the gospel uh, with the people in this city. And so we started meeting in a, in a school. We bought and leased out a little space in Foothills Mall, and we attempted to do ministry out of those areas. I started the student ministry on Wednesday nights with about six students, and it was not awesome. But... <laughs> We started, and uh, we began to serve the Lord and worship the Lord, and, and slowly people started to come to our church, and as they did, we began to send people back to Knoxville, back to Grace, and eventually a whole new uh, group of people were, were now meeting in that school, and, and uh, one day this uh, facility in town went out of business. It was an arcade, a go-kart track, a bowling alley, and a bar, and we thought, hey, Sounds good to us. Let's, uh, let's try it out. And uh, because our sending church believed in us and financially was supporting us at that time, we were able to make that purchase. And we started meeting in the arcade and started with one service. And as we began to meet and began to renovate some areas and improve it, God began to send people to our church, and people started to get saved, and we started to baptize, and, and uh, things were moving in the right direction. One service went to two services. We created more space, and guess what? God filled it. And then we looked around, and we said, well, we actually need, you know, like a real auditorium. This is an arcade. It's not very, you know, useful and helpful. And so uh, how about we renovate the bowling alley, and we make a real auditorium. And, and so uh, we decided to do a campaign that we called Invest, and many of you began to give at that time. And as a result, we were able to renovate the bowling alley, and then we went back into one service, and it was great. We created a bigger space, but then God began to fill it again. 
And that one service turned into six months later, two services. And then about a year later, we went to three services. And we looked around and we thought, you know, we could do three services forever. And, and this is fantastic and great. But, but what if God wanted to do something bigger? And so we thought, well, why don't we buy the, the, the property next door to us? And, and so we said, yeah, let's do that. And let's build uh, an auditorium that's a little bit bigger so that we can create more space for people that aren't here yet. And so we bought the land that you and I are on today. And we built this facility, and eight months ago, we moved in. And guess what? We created space, and God is filling it. It all started with a calling, a calling to multiply, a calling to take the gospel into an area that that we hadn't been before. It all felt like this is the area that God was leading us. And so it started with a calling, and then the next thing that happened was a commitment, There was a small group of people that made a commitment to gather in that school and to gather as a church. And and when things in in the family ministry wasn't awesome, and when parking was even worse, and when the facility wasn't great, and and, uh, we decided, you know what, it doesn't matter. We're going to continue to pursue the vision of making disciples. And we created space, and God filled it. Today, almost 2,000 people gather on the weekends to worship in this facility. We've seen lives transformed. We've seen people come to faith. We've baptized hundreds of people. We took a step of faith. We created space, and God fills it. And so one of my questions for you today is, at what point can we stop? (laughs) I mean, at one point, do we say, okay, that's enough? I mean, 100 more people, okay, we'll take 100 more people, but then that's it. No more. Or is it 1,000 people? Or is it 10,000 people? I mean, at what point do we as a church say, man, we have been given a lot of money. We've been sacrificing. I've been getting up early. I've been given a lot of my support, and I've been given a lot of energy towards this. At what point, Trent, are we going to be able to say, all right, all right, that is enough. Let's just enjoy what we have and just kind of show up for a sermon and just kind of be encouraged and then go home so that I can go back to my life. I mean, it would have been a lot easier on me and my family if, you know, when we grew to about 350 people in the uh, building next door, that we would just kind of say, you know what, that's good. That's enough. It would have been a lot easier. It it wouldn't have been as much sacrifice and commitment on many of you and and, and especially on me to just kind of sit back, not preach any sermons on the Great Commission, and just kind of show up and do church. But the question can never be, God, when can we stop? The question always has to be, God, where are you leading us now? Where are you leading us now? That's our heart. That's the question. I'm having way too much fun to stop. Hell is real. Sin is real. People are dying. Christ has called us to go make disciples. The kingdom of God is not going to stop growing. It's not going to stop spreading. God is not through. He's still saving people He is always on the move. He's always saving and restoring and redeeming and building his kingdom. And he has invited you and I to join him and grow his kingdom with him. As we were reading Habakkuk in chapter 2, verse 14, he is pouring out his heart. You remember this verse? He's pouring out his heart. How long, God? Why aren't you going to do this? And then, you know, God makes this comment. He accepts this comment. Verse 14, it says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. It's kind of a wake-up call for Habakkuk. Like, 
the, the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. God's plan is way bigger than your tiny little perspective. What God is doing in the world is much larger and much grander than my little speck of a life, my, my vapor of a life that's here today. It's going to be gone tomorrow, but he's called me to join him while I'm here. He's called you to join him while you're here. And so today I want to start with a theology of multiplication. So I want to look at several verses today that will help us begin to have, and, and for those of you that already have this framework, it will strengthen it, but perhaps you're new or you just started attending here. What is, what is our thought process and, 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 and where is our foundation for why this is to be true? And, and so to start, I want to look at chapter 13, beginning in verse 31 of Matthew. And Jesus is, he's explaining to the disciples what the kingdom of God is like. And he says this, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is, the larger, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Jesus says, here's an analogy. Here's a, here's a parable of what the kingdom of God is like. He says the, the mustard seed is the smallest of all the seeds. And he says the kingdom of God starts like that. It's the smallest of all seeds. And, and when it is planted, that seed dies. And when the seed dies, it gives birth to this plant. And as the seed dies and it begins to grow, it eventually grows into the largest garden plant in the entire garden. So large that as a tree, it now can house birds. They make nests. They are cared for. And he says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's like this little bitty seed. And when it falls into the ground and it dies, it grows into the biggest plant in the entire garden. And listen, from the very beginning of the creation of the world, God's kingdom, God's plan, his people has all been, has all been about multiplication. That's what Jesus is describing here. That's what the kingdom of God is like, and that is God's plan all along. And so it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. You can see the verse on the screen. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 22, it says God blessed them, the creatures that he had created, the animals. And it says he blessed them and he said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the waters of the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. See, it's, it's, it's multiplication woven into the fabric of creation. It wasn't just the animals. God told Adam and Eve to multiply. In verse 28, it says God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So it's not just with the animals. But now with Adam and Eve, he calls man, woman. This is God's design from the very beginning to multiply. All throughout the Old Testament narrative, we see this. A few chapters later, God sends the flood and our earth is devastated by the flood. And then God tells the sons of Noah in chapter 9 verse 1 to be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. 
multiplication woven into the fabric of creation. A little bit later, we see Abram is called of God, and he tells Abraham the very same thing, that his descendants are going to number more numerous than the stars in the sky, that he would increase and multiply. When the children of Israel went down into slavery in Egypt, you would think, okay, they're in slavery, then it's all over. Not so. The Bible says that even in slavery, their numbers increased. Again and again, the sign of God's blessing, even in captivity, was that they would multiply. A little bit later, they go into the promised land. And guess what happens when they move into the promised land? God blesses them and they multiply. Even when God sends them into exile and he sends the Babylonians to come and to conquer them, They're taken away into captivity. Guess what happens? God's blessing of multiplication continues. The Bible says in Jeremiah 25, 29, 5 and 7, God tells the Israelites, while they are in captivity, he says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. And do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Catch what God is telling the Israelite people here. While you're in captivity, I know you're suffering. I know things are difficult. I know you're experiencing some pain. I know your circumstances aren't great. But while you are in that season, I want you to multiply. And the way in which I want you to multiply is not only in number, but I want you to seek the welfare of the city that you live in. In other words, seek to bless that city. Seek to love on that city. Seek to spread the love of God to those people in that city. And when you seek the welfare of that city, it will become your welfare. In other words, as you bless them, God blesses you. So that's the calling of what God is telling the people, even from the beginning of creation all the way through the people of Israel. And then we step into the prophecies of the coming Messiah. And as we celebrate Christmas, we're reminded of these passages. In Isaiah 9, verse 7 It prophesies the coming Messiah, and it says, Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. In other words, his government, the government of the Messiah, the the people of God, the, the kingdom of God, will increase to no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Exactly as prophesied in the Old Testament. Jesus comes on the scene and he teaches us what it looks like to live and grow in the kingdom of God. He tells us very clearly in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of all nations. That word nation there doesn't just mean like this nation and that nation. It's the word ethne and it means literally all different kinds of people. And so we can go to all different kinds of people in in Blount County and in Knox County, and we can most definitely go to other countries and other nations as well. But the idea is that the gospel and the call to make disciples is to go everywhere with this mission to all people. And he says, you watch this little mustard seed grow when you do that. You watch how God takes a small group of people who were committed to, 
to the mission of God, who are committed to pursue Jesus, who are united around this mission, this little tiny seed. You watch them die to themselves, and you watch what I do. You watch how that tiny seed becomes the largest plant in the garden. Watch and see how my promises will be fulfilled and how we together see the kingdom of God grow right in our midst. Again, when you turn into the pages of the early church in the book of Acts, you see over and over again this same refrain, multiply, spread, grow, build. The promises of God are becoming a reality. A few verses here, Acts chapter 6, verse 7. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. So rapid growth as God's word is spread. And it says that a large number of priests also became obedient to the faith. Acts 9.31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. It was growing. It was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. It multiplied as it was being built up. And as we walk in the fear of the Lord, it multiplies. Acts 12, 24, but the word of God continued to increase and to spread. How does the word of God increase and spread? Well, when the people of God take that message to their community, to their neighborhood, to work, and they are on mission with God with this message, it spreads, it increases, it multiplies. Acts 13, 49, the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. It didn't just spread in our neighborhood. It just didn't spread in the five-mile radius around our church. It spread into other regions. So we see now, okay, I'm not just here. I'm here. Now my vision is getting even larger. What are you doing, God? Where are you going, God? I want to be involved with what you are calling to me, God. Acts 19.20, in this way the word of the Lord spread, spread widely, and it grew in power. Folks, multiplication is God's plan. It has always been God's plan, and it is a good plan. So much so that if you're a Christian today and you are not experiencing multiplication, you're not making disciples who make disciples, you're not involved in that, then that would be a sign to me that there is some unhealthiness in your spiritual life. I would also go so far as to say a church that is not multiplying is giving evidence that there is some spiritually unhealthiness inside the walls of that community of believers. Why? Because you can hardly read a page in the Bible that does not show and point to us that at the very core of who we are as followers of Jesus, we are to share, we are to spread, we are to build the kingdom of God. Let me illustrate it like this. My, my wife and I, we've got four kids. I uh, won't surprise you that I've never been pregnant, but she has. And so what she tells me and uh, what I hear from other people who have been pregnant is that there comes a day in the pregnancy, you know, things are great and fun and exciting, and then at some point in the pregnancy, it gets to this point to where you're like over being pregnant. <laughs> 
If you're a mom in the room, maybe you can like vouch for that. But you get to a point to where you're just like, I guess, you know, so uncomfortable and, 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 and big. And the baby's, you know, like kicking you in the ribs. And, and uh, you know, after eight months, you're just like, okay, okay, this has been great and all. But I am ready to give birth. And in fact, if you don't give birth and you try to hold on to that baby for 10, 11, 12 months, it is not going to go well for you, uh, you know, physically, is it? I want to invite you to think in the terms of pregnancy along the lines of being spiritually pregnant. Think about it for a second. What if spiritually it works the same way? When you have a Christian who has matured, who has grown, uh, God has poured into them, they have been raising up, and in a sense they are spiritually pregnant, and they're ready to give birth and multiply out, and yet they do not. They just hang on to the knowledge, and they just hang on to what they know, and they don't give that away to other people, and they don't share that with other people, and so it's just about building and building and building in their life. If that is happening, then I would suggest that there is some unhealthy consequences that are happening in your life spiritually today. Most definitely, as a church grows and as it becomes healthy, we, we, we in a sense, are growing and, and, and we, in a sense, are becoming pregnant. And if we are unwilling to give birth, if we're unwilling to multiply spiritually, it is not a good thing. It's not a good thing for us. It's not a good thing individually. It's not a good thing corporately as a church. And so we've got to consider it in a great way. This is why in our church we've always talked about birthing new small groups. And you hear us talk about this. Current groups grow, they mature, people are added. It gets to a certain point numerically, gets to a certain point to where the people in there have been equipped and they've grown in leadership. And now it is time for the group to birth a new group, to branch and start a new group. And as a reality of branching, now it opens up space for those in the community and in our church who are not connected, who are not growing, who are not in that environment. And so it's why we always have to talk about it. We've got to talk about it because it's not easy to do. I know a lot of people um, get upset and groan a little bit when we talk about this. Because, hey, we've got friends, we are in a group with someone, and this is great, and, and we don't want to lose out on this close connection or these friendships that we have in our group. You want to be with the same people year after year. Some of you have experienced that, but let me remind you, if that was our mentality when we started the church, you wouldn't be here today. Your lives wouldn't be impacted by the ministries of this church if that was our mentality back then. I'd be leading a very pregnant small group with the same people that I love, and uh, we'd be at about 100 people in our church. It'd be easy and I would have some deep relationships with people, but I wouldn't be meeting needs in the city and the community around me like we are as a church today. I haven't really talked a lot about this, but you know, when Pastor Greg Gibson was here on staff, he was our family pastor, and, and uh, he felt a call to go plant a church, and it was really difficult for me to say, yeah, go do that and, and bless him and, and, and give to that because selfishly, I wanted him to stay. Selfishly, we had a great relationship, still do, but working together was great, and he was doing a great job here. So I was like, God, don't, don't send him away. Send someone, send that guy away. Or send the, don't send him, right? <clears throat> but I had to let go. Why? Because the kingdom of God and God's plan is much bigger than my little plan. As he left, other leaders filled in, and they rose to the challenge, and 
Oh, God, that's what you were doing. I see that now. I didn't then. The same happens in our small groups. We can always barbecue with people. We can always hang out with the people that we love. But for the purpose of making disciples, I've got to be willing to say, you know what? We're going to have to branch this group. We can't just hang out. There are too many hurting people that don't have Jesus. There are too many disconnected people in our church that need to be connected. And so we can't be selfish. We can't, be, we can't go screaming and crying, you know, about this. We, we've got to realize that the call in our lives is multiplication. And it's in the fabric of who we are as a church. And as a church that is committed to that, we've got to willingly embrace that. We have to be willing to let go, even through tears. Multiplication is at the very essence of what it means to be a Christian and to be a part of his church. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, I want you to entrust these things that I have taught you to faithful men who will be able to teach other men also. I want you to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who multiply. And so my prayer and my hope is that we would see more small groups multiply and give birth. My prayer and my hope is that some of you, even though you're going to have to leave some of your friends in your group, would be willing to do so for the sake of those who don't know Jesus and who are not connected to his church. And get, I, I get it. This is hard stuff. Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. What's he saying there? He's saying that if your love for your family is, is, is leading you to make decisions in such a way that you are, you are denying or being disobedient to the call of God to go where he is calling you to go and to make disciples, you are not worthy of him. His, his mission his life must and has to be our calling. He says in verse 38, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus says, and what I think some of us are struggling with today is that you're trying to find life outside of Jesus. You're trying to find your life, find your identity, find who you are. And Jesus says, there is no life apart from me. You're searching, you're wondering, you're grasping, and you're trying to find hope, and you're trying to find meaning, but you're looking in every area except for in Christ. He says, you've got to lose your life for my sake. And when you do that, then you'll find life. Some of you need to hear that today. You've got to lose it. You've got to lose your life. Some of you are like, Trent, I've lost it. I feel like I lost it this week. Now, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about losing your life and finding your life in Jesus, what he is calling you to, where he is calling you to go. And so this is what I'm hoping for as a church, that some of our teenagers and some of our college students are, are, are prayerfully considering 
Is God calling me to go serve overseas? Is God calling me to be a missionary in Africa or in London at one of our church plants or maybe in Washington, D.C. with our church planner there? Is, is God calling me to go serve in those areas? Is God calling you to be a pastor and to become equipped and trained in this ministry so that you can be sent to be in one of our church plants or in one of our satellite campuses that we hope to establish in the future or, or even here on staff one day? Is God leading and calling you to be raised up in that environment. We're not getting to a point to where we can just, you know, circle up and hold hands and sing kumbaya and talk about how great it is that, you know, God has done some good things in our church. That is not the goal. That's never been the goal. I've said this from the very beginning. My heart, our goal has never been uh, never been to be the largest church in this city or the largest church in, in whatever area. It has always been to make as many disciples of Christ as we possibly can. And we're continued, uh, we will continue to be focused on that mission. As we do so, there's going to be resistance. There always is. There's going to be resistance and there's going to be pushback on multiplication. And so I want to list a few things really quickly today. What might happen as we talk about vision, as we talk about what this looks like? Well, one thing that can be a resistance is unrepentant sin. Unrepentant sin. Now, we all have sin in our life, but unrepentant sin are those sins that we keep in the dark, that we are unwilling to confess. And for those that may be experiencing that in life today, that is definitely going to cripple your ability to multiply. And it's going to cripple our ability as a church to multiply. For some of you, it's just going to be disobedience. It's going to be disobedience. You're going you're gonna to feel the Spirit of God tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, He's talking to you. It's time to go. And if your reaction is, eh, no thanks. I got this thing going on. I got a lot of stuff here. Then in your disobedience, you miss the blessing of God. You miss the opportunity that God wanted to give to you to dive in and to experience life change, not only in your heart and life, but in those to come. So disobedience is going to get in the way. Sometimes it's going to be fear. Fear of, well, if I really get passionate about Jesus, if I really do this thing, I'm afraid of what people are going to say. I'm afraid of what my friends are going to do. I'm afraid of what my friends are going to say. Maybe I won't have any friends. There's, there's so many unknowns. And so should I? I don't know. I'm fearful. Some of you are fearful because you don't want to be uncomfortable. Well, if God really does something, then I'm afraid I'm going to be uncomfortable. And I'm really comfortable right now. And I kind of like where I'm at. And again, you miss the blessing of God. And, and as you walk in disobedience, you will suffer the consequences. Finally, maybe there's an improper view of the church. So in your idea of church, it's, it's kind of a consumeristic kind of idea what church is. In other words, church is you get to come and you get to be entertained and you get to feel goods so that you can go home and kind of live your life. So church is this box and then your life is actually this box. And so they're two separate things. You're kind of about religion and feeling good and being entertained. And so that's why you come versus actually selling out your life for Jesus. And so if that's your mentality, I think the evidence is clear in the scripture that I think God pukes when he uh, hears or sees a church that operates like that. Like, I didn't know God pukes, but it says in Revelation that he's going to spew people out of his mouth who, who are lukewarm. And so, I, I, evidently, God pukes. And, and I think this is what makes him puke. Like a church that just shows up and serve me, do for me, 
and we totally miss what the Bible really teaches about what the church is all about. Yes, we have hang-ups and hurts and suffering and life is difficult, but God has called us to be here and, and he is pulling us out of our self-pity and he is calling us and sending us into a world that has no hope. And so we gather not as a cruise ship vacation mentality, everybody pull up a chair, let's eat a lot of food, and then let's go hang by the pool. Instead, it's an aircraft carrier mindset where we are placed on this aircraft carrier and sent into an unknown land in an unknown part of the world with the mission, being sent out to go do battle, coming back to get fueled up, and then going back out to do battle. That's more like the mentality of what it means to be a part of a church. And so my hope is that you grow through this mentality. These are some hindrances, but the body of Christ is a a body of Christ that lives on mission. We do that here at Foothills Church. The way that we explain it is we share the love of God, we connect to the people of God, and we equip for the mission of God. And so for some of you, you're in that share phase. And the share phase are those of you who may not be believers today or maybe you're a baby Christian. And so our hope for you is that we would share our life with you. We would share new truth with you. That we would share the gospel with you and that you would be more equipped to understand what it means to follow Jesus. And then when you grow through that season, you enter the connect phase. And in the connect phase, our goal for you is to connect to other godly people, to connect to a disciple maker who will disciple you and teach you what it looks like to follow Jesus and, and how to have a quiet time and how to feed yourself from the word of God and, and mentor you and help you grow and really establish a walk with Christ. And that's the connect phase. And then you move through that into the equip phase. And in the equip phase, you're constantly being equipped and trained up and, 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 and given resources to grow. But then also you've moved into an area of life to now you're equipping other people to do the same thing. And so that's our goal. That's really, that's our strategy. That's, for those of you that own a business, that's our business plan. That's how we're taking the gospel to this city. People say, what's the secret of the growth at Foothills Church? What, what has it been that's caused all this? It's not rocket science. It's not rocket science. It's share the love of God. It's connect them to the people of God and then equip them how to do it into other people's lives. And as you guys do that, our church has grown. It's not because of great preaching or great music or great facilities. It's because the people here have decided that the gospel matters. And so I'm going to invite my friends. I'm going to serve the Lord. I don't care who preaches. I don't care who sings. I'm here because I love this place. I'm called to this place. And we've got a mission to see more people come to faith in Christ. And so we gather. And so for the next three weeks, I want to share with you specifically what I believe God has laid on my heart for the vision of this church. And, and it's not a six-month vision. It's really for the next two years. I know the plans that we make are futile to the Lord. He's going to blow our minds, but I also believe that he wants us to count the cost and he wants us to strategize. And so I'm going to begin to share with you what we're calling the 2020 vision. Hard to believe that the year 2020 is, is kind of near our, our life. And, and, and here we've got, we've got two years. So for the next Three weeks, I'm going to share with you what I believe we can, through the power of the Holy Spirit, accomplish by the year 2020, and I'm going to begin to share that next Sunday. One of my goals is that 100% of the people in our church, 100%, every single person that's here today, would begin to take their next step toward whatever God is calling you to do, whatever that might be, that you would seek your next spiritual step with God. 100% of us. I don't care if you're 
if you're a teenager in the room, you're a college student, married, single, old, young, whoever you are, 100% of us would take that next step. And we're going to talk about ways that you can do that through this series. And one of the ways we're actually going to help you is, is by next Sunday, uh, we're going to have what we're calling the Multiply Experience out in the atrium. The Multiply Experience is going to demonstrate and show all the different ministries that Foothills Church is a part of that is outside the walls of these church, uh, outside the walls of the church. So you're going to be blown away. You're going to be like, man, I didn't know we were doing this. I didn't know we were a part of this. And you're going to have an opportunity to get more info. You're going to have an opportunity to engage, to serve, to, to, to be a part of things that maybe you didn't even know existed. And so take your next spiritual step. For some of you, it's going to be base camp, maybe camp two, maybe camp three, maybe the school of ministry is your next step. Maybe branching your small group is the next step. We'll be talking about ways that you can do that. And then secondly, my goal is that 100% of us, 100% of us would make a commitment to give to God's vision our first and our best. 100%, every single person. I believe that if we do this, we'll see the largest offering that we have ever experienced as a church. But the reason why we do this is because it fuels the vision. And so we wanna, we wanna consider ways in which we can bless the vision of God and be a part of something much bigger than ourselves by giving our first and our best. And so on December 16th, we're gonna give to what we always give to as a church, and that is our vision offering. Every year we do one offering. We don't do a bunch of offerings. We don't do that. We do one. And it happens on December 16th. And so I wanna encourage you to begin to pray about what you will give on that day, your first and your best. We'll be asking you to make that, that gift, and then we're also gonna be asking you to make a commitment to give in 2019. Remembering that what we give today affects 2019, affects 2020, and, and so forth. And so that's my, that's my goal. Vision is big. We serve a big God. I can't wait to share it with you. You've heard bits and pieces of it, but we really hope to really put it together so that it makes sense. And I look back at, I have so many heroes in the faith. One of them is William Carey. And I look back on his life. He was born in 1761. He's known as the uh, modern-day father of missions. And the reason why is because at that time in the world, there weren't a lot of mission, there, there were no mission-sending organizations that were trying to take the gospel to other people and plant churches and do this kind of thing because everybody kind of thought, well, if God's going to save them, God's going to save them. Let's not worry about it. Let's just focus on us. And William Carey came along and said, no, 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 no. That's not what the Bible teaches. He's famous for saying this, and I quote, multitudes sit at ease, give themselves no concern about the far greater part of their fellow sinners who to this day are lost in ignorance and idolatry. He went on to establish the first Baptist Missionary Society. And so this missionary society uh, was in existence to send people all over the world to take the gospel. And at its inaugural meeting, he preached a message that convicted and changed lives that night and continues to do so even to this day. Some of you have heard this before, but he had two points in that sermon. And the first point was simply this, expect great things from God. Expect great things from God. Point number two, attempt great things for God. I love that. Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Now, let me just ask you a question here today as we close. Are you expecting God to do anything great in your life? 
Or did you just kind of show up today thinking today was going to be normal, ho-hum, whatever, status quo, go back to school, go back to life, no biggie? Or did you show up today expecting God to do something in your heart? Are you attempting anything great for God? Another great question. What are you doing for God today? Have you even considered some of the great things that God is calling you to do? Or is it, again, kind of status quo, ho-hum, whatever? Just kind of show up to church, trend, and then I just kind of go home and I do my thing. And that's just kind of what faith is, isn't it? That's really all there is to it. I would, I would challenge you today, and I would say absolutely not. William Carey's life impacted thousands of people. He planted churches, he established schools, he established mission outposts. He went to India and he gave his life to those people, translating the Bible in multiple languages. This was his life. And I wonder if we are selling God short today at Foothills Church. Like this is all God wants to do is this room, or this is all, this is just the people that God wanted to bless as a result of our faithfulness. And I would challenge you and I would say, no, no, not at all. We've got to expect greater things from God. We've got to attempt even greater things for God. He is inviting you and I to something much bigger than any single one of us, much bigger and grander than any single one of us could possibly imagine. And the God of the universe wants to use you to accomplish that. That gives me chills, man, just thinking, man, what does God want to do? What does God want to, want to do through you? How many lives does he want to change? How many organizations and, and churches and, and, and how many pastors and how many missionaries and how many young people is God calling you to invest in that 20 years from now you look back and say, man, I had no idea God was going to do that. I had no idea but I'm so glad that he did. I'm so glad that he did. See, I don't want to sell God short. I don't want to sell him short on what he wants to do in my life. That's why I'm constantly saying I want to get out of the way. I want to get out of the way, Trent. Let God be God. Let God do his thing. And I want to encourage you to do the same. I, I want to close today by closing with a song that's been really ministering to my life over the last uh, several weeks, and it's entitled Here Again, and it's a song that essentially says, here I am, God. Uh, here I am again, and I can't do anything or experience anything great without you. You got to show up. And I felt like it's a great, great attitude and mentality as we start this series, as we, as we look forward into the future of, of 2020 as a church, and, and your family, and your, your marriage, and your kids, and your grandkids, as we're thinking future, and we're thinking vision, and what God wants us to do today, it's like, God, whew, okay, here we are. I got nothing to offer, but here I am, and, and we need you to show up. And so, I wonder if this could be kind of our anthem through this series and, and motivate us and, and get us in the proper attitude and mindset. So let's pray together. Father, we know that you want to do great things, but Lord, we are selling you short. We're selling you short. We're, we're not attempting anything great. We're only doing things that we can do on our own. We're not, we're not doing things that we know are bigger than ourselves. And so God, help us to, to take those steps as a church 
and as individuals that we could finally attempt something great for you and that we would see your power and spirit change us, change lives and do something bigger than any of us ever dreamed of. So here we are, Lord, we need you. And we know every single time we've needed you, you've been right there. You've never let us down. That's why we can sing it and trust it today. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.